couple of weeks ago, we heard about the necessity of judging with righteous judgment as opposed to judging based on outward appearances. And now we have a continuation on the theme of judgment. This week, we see the necessity of, yes, judging, but not judging until we know what we're talking about. Or until we have heard what's necessary to make judgment. You'll see what I'm talking about as we read our passage. It's John chapter 7, 37 to 53. And we see this parallel running between the crowd and the disagreement and division in the crowd and their various judgments, as well as the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, making this judgment about who Jesus is and, and whether he's good or bad. We see the same kinds of errors happening in both places. Well, this is common, right, that we would make the same errors that, our, that the people we follow make, right? Because we follow them. And so <clears throat> this is a passage, like all passages, that is to you and to me, right? I don't ever want you to think that, uh, that the sermons that I preach are directed only at you. Um, Generally, it's the case that when I preach, and I'm most intense in, in pointing out sin and calling you to repentance, it's because that is an area where I am particularly tempted myself, and I've seen my own sin in, the air, in that area as I've, as I've prepared my sermon. And that's the case this morning as well. So, let us all learn more about judgment and how to judge appropriately and avoid sin in our judgments. As we read John 7, verses 37 to 53, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered them, You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this crowd which does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? They answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. Everyone went to his home. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As I said, a few weeks ago we saw 
in Jesus' command, judge with righteous judgment, we, we saw the necessity of making judgments <clears throat> and not basing those judgments on outward appearances. Well, we see that same, that same theme continuing here. The people don't have all of the information and some of them are making wrong judgments in part because of incomplete information, right? Now, what is the information that they're lacking? They don't know where Jesus was born, right? They assume that he comes from Galilee, when in point of fact, he was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, which is what they're expecting. And so they say, Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? So some of the crowd dismisses Jesus and says he can't be the Messiah, he cannot be the promised one, because he doesn't come from the right place. But as I said, the people are not simply looking at outward appearances. The people are also following after their leaders in this wrong judgment. We already saw that we have to judge with righteous judgment. Now we see that another part of righteous judgment is delaying our judgment, not judging until we have the necessary information. But so very often, we are quick to judge, aren't we? We make snap judgments about people, about situations, about who is right and who is wrong, about what's been going on, about what motivations are involved. And how, how many times have you been burned by that kind of quick judgment? I hope that you've realized how often your judgments are wrong in those kinds of situations. But even if you haven't seen how often you are wrong, look at the people, look at the religious leaders in this passage that we just read. What they are doing is they are judging even though they lack information. Critical information. Information that bears at the very center of their judgment, right? Where does Jesus come from? They don't know. They're making their judgment without the necessary information. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. And isn't that what making quick judgments often is? Where we are giving our answer before we have heard what's necessary for us to hear. That's folly, and it's a shame on us, to us. Why? Well, because that lack of information causes you often to make the wrong judgment. You see? This is folly and shame on those who reject Christ because he's not from Bethlehem. Because he is from Bethlehem. What an absurd reason to reject Jesus. Oh, no, he's not the Messiah. He's not from Bethlehem. Uh, You can just imagine some of the people there knew, right? You know, some of the people who were from Bethlehem are like, no, wait, actually... uh, There were some people who knew, but like I've pointed out in the past, this isn't the age of mass media where you get like instant broadcast to everybody all of the information. Well, even in the day of mass media, we're quick to make judgments in part because we're more confident that we have the information when in point of fact, do we know everything? We don't know everything. You read one news report and you think you've got it all and and you start 
running your mouth on Facebook, right, because you think you understand what's going on, and you've totally been played. You've read one person and what they think, and they've set it up to make it like the most obvious thing in the world what you should think about this situation. But you've only heard one side of the story, haven't you? They write it as though they're being unbiased. Have you guys not experienced this sort of thing where it's like you've, you thought you read a nice unbiased article and you had a clear understanding of what was going on and so you made your decision, even if you didn't run your mouth off on Facebook, then come to find out the rest of the story totally flips it on its head, right? So even when we, in this age of mass media, where we get instant information on Twitter and on Facebook and you get like a million people reading an article all at once, it's still possible for us to not have all of the information that we need, right? So everybody is assuming that he's from Galilee because after all, it looks like he's from Galilee. But this is the same kind of false assumption that would underlie a news article today. You've got this presupposition that's coming in and is coloring all of the facts and how you interpret them. And so often it's not until more careful journalists go and do a couple of weeks of research that then the rest of the facts start trickling out in some of these major cases. And you're like, oh, it's not quite so clear cut what's going on here, is it? And you've got to attenuate your judgments and you've got to change what you thought. Well, what Proverbs says is, if you give an answer before you hear, it's folly and shame to you. And the reason is because you end up looking like an idiot because you were so adamant about what was going on when you didn't know. You answered before you had heard. And so you've made this wrong judgment and been adamant about it. <clears throat> and how does that happen? Well, Proverbs eighteen seventeen, just four verses later, says... The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. And so, isn't that so often what happens? The first article that you read on something, it seems right. And it's not until you read something else later on questioning that whole narrative of what's been going on that all of a sudden you're like, well, maybe this isn't what I thought was going on. And then you feel ashamed for your big mouth on Facebook. Or your conversations at school, or whatever it is, right? The things about which you make confident assertions that you know nothing about. Here are the people and the Pharisees, starting with this underlying assumption that Jesus is from Galilee, and saying, well, he can't be the Messiah. Search and see, no prophet arises out of Galilee. Pretty confident assertion, right? One of the commentators, I think it was Matthew Henry, pointed out, actually, two of the prophets were from Galilee. Nahum, and I can't remember who the other one was. Pretty crazy, huh? So when we make these kind of judgments, when we lack information, what's going on? Well, we're making idiots of ourselves. 
That's what's going on. It's shameful. And a lot of the time, it flows out of these false assumptions that we have. Okay? Now, both conservatives and liberals do this and, and jump quickly onto stories that they think prove their particular political uh, hobby horse, the point that they want to see. And so in the first initial response to some sort of big news story, whether that's about a, you know, a gorilla here in Cincinnati or whether it's about, um, oh, who knows? It, you know, it could be anything. In, in the first immediate aftermath, you'll see both conservatives and liberals jumping very quickly to make these statements to prove their point. So it may be about, uh, it may be about guns, or it may be about animal rights, or it may be about abortion, or it may be about... And, and you, see these, you see these quick jumps... And, you're, and part of what's going on is that you are looking, even if you're, even if you're reading, like, let's, say, let's say you're a political conservative, if you will, a, a, a right-wing crazy head, all right? And you're reading in the New York Times, a left-wing crazy head. Okay? Just, just imagine with me for a second this scenario going on. Even in that case, you will allow your underlying assumptions to cause you to jump to quick conclusions. And sometimes, instead of being that you, the first person you hear sounds right, sometimes you allow your underlying assumptions to cause you to dismiss everything that you read first. Right? Well, he is a crazy liberal left-wing fanatic, and so I know that everything that I'm reading is distorted and filtered through his crazy filter, and so I don't have to believe any of it, and I can just attribute everything that he's saying and all of the facts that disagree with my viewpoint that I want to be right. I can just dismiss all of it as his left-wing bias. And so you jump to a quick conclusion negatively as well sometimes, right? Well, again, maybe you know enough, but maybe you don't know enough. Maybe the assumptions that you have that if it's in the New York Times, that it's a crazy liberal person and that they're just twisting the story to make it fit the narrative that they want it to be. That might all be false. It's possible, my point is that it's possible for us to jump quickly to conclusions based on our underlying assumptions. And that those quick, rapid jumps can be either negative or positive. They can be either be for or against somebody based on those underlying assumptions. In this case, the people of the crowds who reject Jesus because he comes from Galilee, supposedly, all right, are doing the same thing that the religious leaders do, rejecting Jesus because the Messiah can't come from Galilee, and so they're making a negative judgment very quickly, too quickly, based on a false assumption. Seems like a safe assumption, doesn't it? After all, Jesus is from Galilee. He's a Galilean. All of his followers are from Galilee and Galileans. Seems like a safe assumption. It's in the New York Times. It's got to be liberal crazy talk, right? 
pretty safe assumption. But it is an assumption still, isn't it? And they were wrong about Jesus, weren't they? I had somebody make false assumptions about me this week, and it was quite irritating. Thought they knew what I believed. It's like, dude, you don't know anything about me. It was irritating, but it was also kind of funny, because he just ended up looking like an idiot. Well, that's what happens to us so much of the time when we make when we make rapid judgments, when we're quick to trust our underlying assumptions. Why do we do this? What motivates us to make quick judgments? One of the things, I don't even have it written down here, it just occurred to me, is a major oversight. One of the things that causes us to make quick judgments is because we're lazy. Lazy, lazy, lazy. We don't want to do the work that it's going to require to find out what the underlying assumptions are that we have and to test whether they're accurate or not and to figure out what the truth is. And so we'd rather just take a shortcut Trust those underlying assumptions, jump to a conclusion, give your judgment, and move on. And then when it comes out that you were wrong, well, that news cycle has ended anyway. We're off to making judgments somewhere else. There are a lot of other things that motivate us to make quick judgments, though. One of them is hatred or jealousy of a person. That'll cause us to judge against them like the Pharisees did with Jesus. Find a chair, man. Don't sit between the chairs. You okay? If we hate a person or if we're jealous of a person, we're very, very quick to make negative judgments about them, aren't we? This is part of what was driving the Pharisees to make their false judgments about Jesus. They hated him. On the flip side, a desire to be in somebody's good graces, a desire for somebody to like us, a desire for some sort of benefit from somebody will cause us to make a quick judgment in favor of them. I want to read a few different verses from the Old Testament. Second Chronicles 19.7 says, this is a command that's given to judges. When a man is speaking to the judges that are being appointed. He says, Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be very careful what you do, for the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality or the taking of a bribe. Partiality is a word that I want you to come away from today thinking about, dwelling on. Partiality. What does it mean to show partiality? Partiality means that you are being affected not by the truth and you are being affected away from true judgments. Partiality will cause you to make false judgments 
either because of your hatred of somebody or because of your love of somebody else. That either one of those is partiality. You can, be part, you can show partiality in favor of somebody or you can show partiality against somebody, right? Either one of those things will corrupt your judgment. And that's why the judges are warned against it. The Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality or the taking of a bribe. We look at Washington, D.C., and we look at the politicians, and it's very easy for us to see and to condemn the unrighteousness. One of the things that you may have seen in the news this week is, you know, this meeting that took place between two people in an airplane. You guys know what I'm talking about? Bill Clinton met with... Loretta Lynch, right? And why is that a big deal? A secret meeting. Nobody knows what they said to each other. Why is it a big deal? Well, because Loretta Lynch is in charge of whether or not Hillary Clinton is going to be charged if the FBI... And so what everybody looks at, they're, they're immediately we, you see that and you're like, this is not good. It's not good for Loretta Lynch to have a secret meeting with Bill Clinton. Right? And so, the reason that it's not good, in case it's not clear to you, is because we are afraid of, imp- we are afraid of improper judgment based on partiality. Right? This is why we expect judges to recuse themselves from a case when it's their own family member that's on trial. This is why we expect them to recuse themselves when a company that they are um, paid by is involved in one of their cases. In other words, the danger of partiality is the same danger of unrighteousness is the same danger of bribery. They go all together. To accept a bribe is to cause partiality, is to cause unrighteousness. They can't be separated from each other. Now, my point in bringing up this secret meeting that is not so secret anymore, that happened this week, right, is not to condemn them, but rather to point out that we are, we are very, it's very easy for us to see this sort of problem in the politicians, right, and to, and to look at them and be like, oh, it's so disgusting. I can't believe that they have no shame in, in, in these kinds of meetings and accepting money back and forth from each other and not recusing themselves from cases and from laws and decisions. And it's just, there's so much corruption. But listen, just like the Jews, the, the crowds, following after the leaders in, these, in showing partiality against Jesus... We also follow after our leaders in being partial. We're not so different from the politicians. It's just that there's not so much money at stake. And so you don't see the uh, you don't see the the, the level of intensity in your own life that you get when by the time you get to former President Bill Clinton and Loretta Lynch, right? You're dealing with like the highest echelons of power in the country at, this, at that point. 
And so the stakes are huge. But you don't have control over them. You do have control over yourself. Isaiah 123 says, Your rulers are rebels and companions of thieves. And we're like, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Our rulers are rebels and companions of thieves, and thieves themselves. But what does it continue on and say? It says, everyone loves a bribe and chases after rewards. In other words, bribery does not have to be this straightforward thing that happens. There's a word for it in politics, and it's, it's when the bribe comes after the fact, right? Kickbacks. It's like a reverse bribe. You show the partiality first in the hope that there will be a reward that comes from you showing partiality. And again, we look at it in the politicians and we're like, disgusting creatures, all politicians. That verse continues on. They do not defend the orphan, nor does the widow's plea come before them. That's the test. Right there. The test is, are you willing to show care for the orphan, for the widow, for those for whom you can expect to receive no benefit. Do you see that? It's it's almost the case that the Bible expects us to show partiality on behalf of the least of these, the orphan, the widow, the poor. In the New Testament, we're commanded to uh, not... You think of you think of the command to um, not have people over who can also have you over, but instead to what? To have people over for a meal who can't ever repay you, who you you never you never get it back. It's almost a reverse partiality, isn't it? Job 34.19 says, God, or speaking of God, says, he says, who shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich above the poor, for they all are the work of his hands. And so our judgment is to be like God's, impartial. Not regarding the rich above the poor. It is equally possible to, uh, to be partial against the rich in a sinful way. Okay, There are a lot of people who are poor and who hate the rich. And that hatred allows them, or or causes them, just like our partial decisions, to show partiality against the rich. And they'll, they'll use it to justify doing things like stealing from the rich. Oh, well, they have enough. They don't deserve to have this much. They can't. They can't question me taking some of it. I deserve to have at least some of that good from them. That's a sort of wicked partiality, isn't it? It's being partial to yourselves. 
So if we have false assumptions that we're basing everything on, you're going to make wrong judgments. If you don't hear both sides of the story, you're going to make wrong judgments. This is one of the ways that you end up um, showing partiality, okay? If somebody comes to me and, and they're... This is, this is when I find myself wanting to be partial. One of the times I find myself wanting to be partial, okay? Somebody comes and visits the church, and, uh, and I get to know them a little bit. I'm talking to them, and I find out that, uh, that they're going through a divorce, or they're separated from their husband or wife, right? And I'm talking to them about that, and I want them to keep coming to the church, right? And so what is my temptation right then as I'm speaking to them? My temptation is, having heard one side of the story, to take them at their word that what they've described as what's going on is actually what's going on, and to judge in favor of them, and to be like, oh yeah, that sounds like a, a really nasty man you married. Or, oh, I can't believe, yeah, that's, that's awful that she would do that to you. Because I want them to keep coming to the church. You see, I'm looking for the benefit that comes to myself from making a judgment that has nothing to do with whether it's accurate or not, but has everything to do with simply not wanting to piss off the person that's in front of me so that they don't leave the church. I hope I didn't offend you. This is a constant temptation for us, you guys. Your friend comes to you and starts talking about somebody else and blah, 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 blah. This is what they did. Can you believe blah, 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 blah? And you're like, oh, no, that's awful, blah, blah, blah. And you just find out after the fact that you bought it hook, line, and sinker. And actually, they were totally at fault. I just heard this story of a friend, two friends talking, and one of them was, one of them had been dating a guy, and she started bad-mouthing him to her, to her other girlfriend, right? And, she, and she's saying, he this, that, and the other, and <clears throat> I can't believe that he thought that I, he thought that I wanted to, really be in a relationship with him and dating him. I can't believe that he thought we were that committed to one another. And I don't know what gave him that impression. And I never gave him that impression. I don't know why he's so upset that I broke up with him. And so this girl's like, yeah, yeah. What gives him the right to think anything about the relationship? only to find out afterwards that this girl had been making out with him and all of this other stuff that she had never told her that makes expectation of commitment much greater. You see? Because she had been hiding her own sin in the relationship. She had been withholding information in the communication process. And so what? The first story you hear sounds right. And after all, they're friends. And so you want your friends to be right. You want to be able to believe them. You want to not judge them poorly. Do you understand? And why do you not want to... Why do you not want to judge them poorly? Well, because you don't want to damage the friendship. And so a big part of partiality today is looking at the risks and the rewards that you think you stand to gain and lose. 
we all are tempted to be partial. But truth, truth is not partial. It divides like a sword. And it follows the line that's accurate. Not the line that's convenient for you and me. Not the one that is going to make you be happy. Not the one that's going to protect your relationships. Not the one... And, and so we have to have our commitment, our highest commitment be to truth, not to relationships. It does not matter how much good this person has done for you. It does not matter what favors they have done for you. It does not matter because truth is what matters. It's very possible for you to reject bribes because none of you are judges. Right? But we're all called to judge, and it is impossible for you to escape flattery. Do you, have you guys experienced this, where somebody comes up to you and starts talking to you about how, how wonderful you are as a friend, and how, how kind you are, and how you always do the right thing and care for people. And it's like, feels good, doesn't it? But you kind of feel like, what's going on here? I feel like there's some sort of ulterior motive here. Only for the conversation to then switch. And, and of course, all of that is in contrast to Mr. Meanie Head. Mr. Meanie Head who happens to be one of the elders of the church, you know, who's never kind to me. Who never seems to have love and compassion like you do. And what's going on? Well, somebody's seeking to influence you to not be partial in your judgments. That's it. That's it. They're using, they're using flattery to try to undercut truth. And so none of us can really escape bribes, can we? They give you something that you want. And then they ask you to twist truth. To go along with their twisting truth. To make a false judgment. To make a quick judgment. This is why the judges are told they have to be careful and fear the Lord. Now, in our passage this morning, we've got this beautiful thing that happens. The soldiers that had been sent to arrest Jesus come back without him. Right? And when they come back, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, ask him, why didn't you bring him back? We sent you to get Jesus to arrest him and bring him here. Why didn't you bring him back? And the, fair, I mean, the, and the, the soldiers respond with this wonderful statement. They say, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. As I was first reading through this passage, I actually thought maybe that would be my sermon. All on that. Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. What a beautiful thing. Why is it so beautiful? Well, because the soldiers actually heard what Jesus was saying and judged correctly. Never has a truer word been spoken than the soldiers to the Pharisees right there. Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. 
the crowd, parts of the crowd also judged correctly that Jesus was the Christ. This is not blind luck. These people were judging based on what they had heard from Jesus himself. And they put the more important things first in their mind. Yeah, the Messiah is to come from Bethlehem. It doesn't appear that this guy's from Bethlehem. But what I don't, what I, what I do know for sure is what I have heard directly from him and what I have seen him do with my own eyes. Never has a man spoken like this. Never has a man performed these signs. This is the Messiah. They know it. They know it in their hearts, and they judge. It's funny. They judge at exactly the same time as everybody else does, don't they? But what I'm, my point is that it's not like there's this random disagreement and some of the people happen to guess right and some of the people happen to guess wrong. What's going on is that the soldiers and the parts of the crowd that say he's the Messiah are judging properly. They are judging with greater wisdom. They are looking at the more important things. They are looking at the things that are verifiable and setting aside the things that are not. Do you see what's going you see what I'm talking about? This is this is where laziness comes back in, where it's like, ah, you know what, that's all kind of hard to filter and sort and to make the kinds of decisions about what things are the most important here to focus on. And so it's tempting for us to, to decide, coming out of a sermon like this, oh, well, I never want to judge then. This is not right. This is not the right takeaway. Delay judging? Sure. Delay indefinitely? No. We delay judging so that we can examine the case more closely so that we can do the work of judging properly, not so that we can avoid the work of judging at all. And so Nicodemus speaks and he says, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? How often I have been quick to judge without all the information I need, and especially without hearing from the person that I'm judging. judging the person who isn't present after hearing one side of the story. What a ridiculous thing to do. It always makes you look like a fool in the end because you have played the fool. The Pharisees are allowing their hatred of Jesus to corrupt their judgment. And so they do not want to hear from Jesus. They do not want to know what he is doing. They have prejudged the matter. If you ever find yourself not wanting to hear the other side of the story, you know you've become corrupted and your judgment has already been made. 
you want to hear both sides. Our law, just like their law, and the law of love requires us to hear. To hear before we judge. And it requires us to go ahead with our judgment, having worked at it, knowing that, yes, our sin will will never be able to completely remove our sin from our motives and our judgment, right? And so we hold our judgments much more loosely than God's judgments, right? But we make these judgments because right and wrong should never be allowed to live without us caring which is right and which is wrong. It really does matter what is right and what is wrong. And it doesn't matter whether you're going to lose friends over it. It doesn't matter if they've done you favors and they're expecting you now to do them this favor. It doesn't matter if they wrote a recommendation for you to get you into college or if they helped you out with your car, or if they, you know, all of the things, if they're standing right in front of you and the other person isn't, if the other person has always been a jerk to you, be careful. not to make rash judgments. Seek the truth. God's truth. And judge based on the facts. Not on your assumptions. Let's pray.